Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone out there in the internet stratosphere. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Breakdown, my obsession. Once again, I am your faithful loudmouth host, Matt Koplick. Loudmouth? Loud, yeah, that works. Matt Koplick. Uh, with me today is a wonderful gentleman. You know him from his web series via broadwayworld.com, that abusive boyfriend that we love. Uh it's the day of the show, y'all. Please welcome Mr. Spencer Glass. Hello, Spence. Hi, Matt. That was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely hysterical. Um, I actually didn't even make the connection at first when I reached out to you about this, but when I sent you the email of like, you know, uh, previous obsessions, Melanie Brooke had done Broadway World, and I was like, ooh, this might be the first time we have someone who's connected to a previous obsession. Like I actually, I, I just, I was, I, I was stalking your Instagram page because I was trying to find my own obsession, which I know we'll get to later, but I saw that was her obsession and I grew up with Melanie. So mm-hmm. it was like, like double um, spectacular to see uh, that. We, in fact, this, uh, this pod was mentioned once on a Broadway World thread because someone found the episode and discussed it. And it was mostly positive. One person said that I said um and like too much, which is fair, but also that person can suck a dick. <laughs> well, I also feel like you made it in a way. Like your way. Broadway podcast, your Broadway podcast was discussed on a leading Broadway platform's message board. Come on. Yeah, exactly. The only thing missing was that I needed someone to say that I was overrated and to, for someone to say that I wasn't rated highly enough. You know, the way that people do, about certain you're over things. you're overrated and you're not rated highly enough how's that exactly that's how i want to be i want someone to start a thread saying is it just me or is matt Koplick overrated and have like three gays go oh my god finally someone said it and then have a bunch of wonderful 19 year old girls from the midwest go how dare you he's iconic he's everything i i just want a turf war online over me spencer is that so much to ask I've been looking for a turf war over you for decades, so I I, I feel you. That that was the best backhanded compliment because you just admitted that I've been alive for decades. I did, I did. <laughs> Don't worry, folks. He's only twenty. <laughs> I'm a baby. No, um, 
yeah, I just celebrated my 30th birthday nine months ago. <laughs> I chose to ignore that it was really 30 as it was quarantine had just started. And I was like, I'm not actually going to be 30 until I can celebrate with at least four people in a room with me. So 30 is mm-hmm. I'm 29 still, and I will remain 29 until I can have like four people in a room with me eating cake. But enough about me. To quote the Great Beth Level, it's not about me. Let's focus on Spencer for a quick second before we get into his main obsession today. Spencer, uh, you are probably most known currently to people online with your show, with Broadway World. It's the day of the show, y'all, which is an obvious reference to the great Parker Posey in Waiting for Guffman. Of course. Of course. And it's a series where you discuss usually a lesser known musical okay yes the (laughs) point of the show the point of the show is discuss lesser known musicals hidden gems i've always been very drawn to very um intrigued by shows that have been on broadway for one day to 60 days to seven years and then you never hear about them again right so I try, you know, when I was in pre-COVID, when I was in the studio and I had a band and I had a film crew, I really stuck to that. And then I had to adjust everything and I do a weekly live now. So it's not like I'm like, it's not that I'm starting to like um, run out of shows that people don't know, but like two weeks ago I did Big Fish and like four people on my live were commenting, this isn't lesser known. And I'm like, I know, but like, I know it is. Arg- I actually would argue Big Fish is a little lesser known because like, yes, it has its fans, but like how many people can really say they know that show well in the way that we say we know West Side Story, you know? And that is exactly kind of where I'm going now with it. I will mm-hmm. do shows like Big Fish. I'll even do a show like Carnival. Where like- I saw that. I was Carnival. so happy you did Carnival. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Because only people like us know Carnival, but you probably have heard of it, but are Mm -hmm. you thinking it's Carousel? So I'm kind of getting into like that world now. Yeah. And you're somebody who knows your shit about a lot of things. You don't just like settle on post-1985. You like going further into the the canon, which I appreciate because I feel like not many people do anymore. And I understand not having theater be your whole world, having other hobbies listen i do puzzles so like theater is not my whole world (laughs) but uh you know sorry that was my attempt at being like i've changed my look look at the hat i'm wearing you know like uh you're like you are just you're just so versatile i'm so oh honey you're the first person to say that (laughs) uh it's it's that equivalent of you know making the nerdy girl the hot girl in a movie and all they do is take off the glasses take out the ponytail i'm like see i have other interests i do puzzles (laughs) but on the other end i don't understand how you can do something for a living and not have something that's creative like this that's not you know data entry and not Mm. have some interest in it you know i i fully agree with you i don't think it's mandatory it does drive me a little nuts Mm -hmm. i i also think you and i are very lucky you know i'm i'm also from new york I grew up with theater-loving parents who took me to everything. Mm-hmm. And I could have every cast album, every, um, you know, uh, why can't I think of, what do you call it when you, you play the piano and you read the notes? 
sheet music. <laughs> I really need help. I had every Rude. sheet music possible. I think it, I think it, you know, being from New York, I, it's just there, mm-hmm. but I fully agree with you. And that's kind of why I started day of the show because I really felt like the foundation of our art form was truly, um, was truly hiding. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need you to know Miss Liberty. You know, no one has <laughs> to know the musical Miss Liberty, but like you have to know where musical comedy started from. Musical comedy didn't start from the prom. It just didn't. And the prom is one of my favorite musicals, funny enough, because I usually tend to go for more like the traditional stuff. But I'm like, you, it, it just, it boggles my mind that people now know musicals because it's revived. So I started this because I need people to get on the bandwagon, Matt. Absolutely. The bandwagon, another classic. I'm sorry, you, you were making this really wonderful point, but you just had the misfortune of throwing out Miss Liberty as your reference, and that's all I focused on. That's, <laughs> ooh, ooh. And if y'all don't know, uh, at least of Miss Liberty, like what that even is, um, educate yourself, because I'm not going to. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. Let's get into it. Spencer is here today because he has an obsession and buckle in kids because it's a big obsession that's going to take up some time recovering a lot of ground and we, mo- we will most definitely get off topic probably probably definitely so you know strap in Spencer what is our obsession today the obsession today that Spencer Glass has and will always have is Broadway in the 90s Mm-hmm. Any show, any theater, any cast album, any Tony Award performance, Thanksgiving Day Parade, I'm obsessed. Why why is that? Um the business has changed. Um f- some for great for social justice reasons. For, I, I'm so happy about that. For the right reasons, this business has changed. But there, there's a glimmer of magic that the 90s had in New York City. Um, the range of musicals that the 90s had. And, you know, to get vulnerable, I was a version of myself in the 90s growing up in New York and getting to see the musicals that I miss. And so... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of nostalgia um, regarding 90s Broadway. And I, I think that's kind of why I'm obsessed. And I think similar to like, you never get over your trauma from when like you're younger, it's always mm-hmm. seeping in your body. I, I just will never get over 90s Broadway. Like it was my life. I had every album. I memorized every lyric. I went to every stage door. Like it's mm. just in me. Like I remember that more than the Hades Town album, you know? Yeah, no, I absolutely hear you. Uh, we're going into the 90s. We're specifically going to pinpoint a couple of moments, shows and moments. Uh, Spencer, why don't you take the floor with the first one, starting off in 1991? Yeah, so Will Rogers Follies. Um, that was the year I was born. I did not see it live on Broadway, but I would listen to Big Time. Um over and over and over and over again when I was younger, which then took me to Wellington, North Carolina, where I saw it at a community theater with my family. Don't ask. We don't know anybody involved. Just don't ask. But we saw it in North Carolina. And then I discovered some, some country in Asia broadcasted it. 
Like, I guess it they was somehow Japan. got, like, the... Okay, it was Japan. Yeah. They, um, they got, uh, I mean, really good bootleg, something. I guess they just had, like, it was, like, no, a PBS it was, it was or, a, like, it was a, a... It was a professional broadcast for Japan. Yes. This, this, is where I, this is where I prove my worth for you, Spencer. I, no, thank you. I, I, I need your help. And also, I'm probably going to say incorrect things, so please just be like, that's not right, because I, the 90s not. are, it gets a little fuzzy. Baby you know? girl, don't worry. I will absolutely do all of that. Thanks, baby I girl. Have, I, have no, I have no choice. It's in my DNA. I, will I just follow you was like, that was something that once I, once I got a handle of that, um, of that bootleg of the professionally um, filmed production, mm-hmm. I could do all the choreo of the 12 minute opening number. I am obsessed with like, Katie Hoffman rising out from the basement onto the stage in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I think it's. I think it's just like a crackerjack of a musical, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't write them like they just don't write them like that anymore. They don't produce them like that anymore. No. Uh, so I. I actually watched some of that broadcast last night in preparation for today, oh. and I mean I, Tommy Tune. I'm devastated that he stopped choreographing and directing after best little horror house goes public because like we the productions i would have loved to have seen him come up with i am not as big a fan of will rogers follies as a show as you are i think the score is a lot of fun it's it the 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 book scenes go on for a little bit longer than i would like but that original yeah that original broadway production when you watch it and you can watch it it's it's readily available you will marvel at the um, spectacle of it. And it's not like overwhelming spectacle. It's not like garish. It's very tasteful. It's very clever. And then on top of that, Tommy Toon, who has never been a choreographer who does like Rob Ashford gymnastic choreography. It's more about precision and ways to surprise you. So like my fa- uh, our favorite son, which is one of my favorite choreographed numbers of all time, the majority of that number is Keith Carradine and the bevy of chorus girls sitting on a step doing hand movement, handography, with little tambourines on their on their heads. And it is fan-fucking-tastic. There's something to like tie into like the 90s and what you were saying about like the set and like the spectacle of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, if any of you have seen the Kathy Rigby Peter Pan, it's very much like that. It's mm-hmm. just colorful and in your face and aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. And I love that when I go to a theater. I love the technicolor aspect of it all. You know what's interesting? So the, the 90s, <laughs> I was going to say something that was like very soon. It was like, well, the 90s came after the 80s. Uh, <laughs> oh. For anyone who doesn't know, the 90s came after the 80s. But the 80s was a decade of, you know, uh, cocaine-fueled opulence, you know? You own everything. And it, the British mega musicals with, you know, the tire going over the audience and the barricade on the turntable and this falling chandelier. And... I've said it before with Smile, you know, Smile's biggest downfall on Broadway was that they were trying so hard to compete with all of that. They turned what was actually a medium-sized musical into a big musical and it needed to tone down, not scale up. 
so the 90s was almost like kind of a response to that we're like we're gonna keep the broadway opulence but we're gonna be a little less crazy about it and a little more uh intelligent about it so like you know it's it it's all of that glamour and colorfulness but it's not like whoa it's not drug infused or drug infueled it's it's a little more methodical and paced out and also you know the 90s was the birth of the uh of the Broadway revival that we know it today actually starting with Carousel where you know we took these classic golden age musicals and we treated them like modern day musicals and now which then birthed the dark uh, revival but you know go going in and out but it's it, you have it on on two hands you have the opulence and you have the uh, digging deep of the text and which leads mm-hmm. to a very wonderful decade of musical theater and also amen. a lot of high belting. Yeah, amen. Also a lot of high wow, belting. That was, a, that, was a, that was a great, I actually just learned a couple of things. So thank you. And so much high belting. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it really learning if I just made it up? Like that wasn't something that I, I'm like, here's a bit of research I found. It's more like my, my conclusion after like thinking about it for a while in the shower. I like your shower conclusions, so. Haven't, and on that note. <laughs> ha- haven't heard of that for the first time today. <laughs> It also wasn't the best way to do a, to do a punchline. Wow, Spencer, you're not the first one to tell me that. There we go. There uh, we go. See, that's what we call rewriting. That's why you go out of town, bitches. So, well, Rogers Follies, tell us more about it. What what's the show about? Who's a part of it besides Tommy Tune and Katie Huffman? What are other things people can look out for? Why do what else are we obsessed with? Yeah, Will Rogers Follies is about. Um, what the fuck is Will Rogers Follies about? Will Rogers Follies is basically like the life of um, of Will Rogers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, basically that is what it's supposed to be about. Is it though? It's like it's like a show within a show. You have like mm-hmm. you have what's his face Ziegfeld. There's like a Born voiceover Ziegfeld, yeah. of him. Yeah, and he's, like, narrating the show, and he's narrating Will through his life, and, like, how Will got into vaudeville, and he, like, started as a cow- like cowboy axe, and then he met his wife, and then he had kids. You know, it's, like, a very bubblegum autobiography musical. Is that a- was that kind of right? Yeah, I, w- I, th- I just thought of this now. It's, like, if the concept musical were a piece of bubblegum, you know? Like... Yeah. like a cabaret yes. or or like because we think of the concept musical we think cabaret follies company uh you know nine and then we have will rogers follies where i'm like it's also kind of a concept musical because like there's kind of a plot but not really and it's almost not even about the plot it's more about how the plot is shown mm-hmm. and it is very theatrical it is, and it's a concept and it's it's a it's the concept musical in the form of a piece of chewing gum. That's how I would describe it. And it's, a, it's just a good old showgirl musical. And I love showgirls. I love, I, uh, I am very attracted to, um, you know, I guess the high Batma, but also just these amazing dancers who are working their ass off, who never leave the stage and the costume changes mm-hmm. and they're doing a million things. And then you have Keith Carradine and Dee Hody just like running around at the same yeah. time. Uh, also, so when I was rewatching it, there's a moment where Dee Hody has to do a scene with like seven of the chorus girls where they're, you know, her sisters or whatever. And yeah. 
So for anyone who's unaware of what the Ziegfeld Follies were, they were essentially reviews, big budget reviews with like big star acts like Fanny Bryce and Will Rogers. And they would have like also novelty acts. Um, so Will Rogers Follies tries to emulate that and has small acts in between scenes sometimes. So like Will does a rope thing. And then at one point, like a guy has a thing with this little dog doing tricks. But the scene after that dog, Dee comes out to do her scene and the dog runs out on stage onto the passerelle around the orchestra into the audience and up the aisle. And I'm pretty sure it's not actually part of the show because Dee breaks. She fully like, she can't continue with the scene. She starts laughing. The chorus girls start laughing and she like, she, it's a full 30 seconds until she can continue the scene. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and watch that. I, that, I have, I've missed that. And I, just like tying into what you just said and like the showgirl musicals and Mm -hmm. like giant stars with these amazing showgirls running around. That's also why I love Crazy For You, which was like a year later. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure in like, it was either like the Tony Award, it's the Tony Award um, performance. They also, something like that happens. And one of the showgirls messes up and everyone starts laughing and like, they just like keep going. And yes, I noticed uh, that. I didn't notice. Well, I, I think it's with slap that bass. Uh, something happens with the rope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I love it when things go wrong on Tony performances, but they're such troopers and they go ahead with it anyway. Um, can I, can I just say, you probably know this, but I actually found this out only a couple of months ago. Do we know that Beth Lovell was Jody Benson's, was Jody Benson's understudy in Crazy For You? I didn't know she was her understudy. I knew that she was kind of the second-ish female lead. Not really second female lead, but I knew she was in the show. Um, she was Tess, which is like a, like a, I would say like a 45-line ensemble member, which is, yeah. I mean, a, a good cameo. The leader of the covered, ensemble. Yeah. Tess is the leader of the ensemble, for sure. Yes, but she's like dancing. Like, it's yeah. so exciting to watch her. She's she so got her, good. Yeah, I knew that she got her start as a tapper because she made her Broadway debut in uh, 42nd Street, mm-hmm. replacing, and then went on tour, like, did it for four or five years, and then came back with Crazy For You, and then she replaced in Showboat, and then she did... I actually saw her as Dorothy Brock in 42nd Street because she was Christine Ebersole's standby, and I saw in the last week of previews, and Christine Ebersole was out the matinee that I saw, but I saw Beth Level. I, I can't even imagine how incredible she was in that role. Oh, she was great. I mean, I also loved that revival. But, I mean, I, that's because I was 11 and had just, you know, again, bevy of chorus girls, leading lady, front and center, colorful costumes, tap dancing up the wazoo. They don't do it anymore, Matt. Except they, Hello, Dolly. Except Hello, Dolly, every company years. We were apparently going to maybe get Mame with Tony Collette and... I will murder a thousand geese to make sure we get that. So shall we move on from Will Rogers Follies into um, our first yes. Tony Forms? Great. So we're yes. going to go from uh, the light to the dark and go into the Tony performance of the 1993 musical Kiss of the Spider-Woman. I'm so happy you picked this for a multitude of reasons. 
let's start with you. What is Kiss of the Spider Woman about? And then what was your introduction to it? So it's about a window dresser. And not, la, 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 hold on. Yeah. It's about, no, I'm right, right? No, yeah, he's a window dresser. Yeah. So it's, it's about a window dresser. Yes. Molina, he's gay. And he goes to prison for child molestation. And he, or, or rumored, um, unclear? No, we can get into that in a second. It's, eh, it's not my favorite thing about the story. He is, he's a gay Argentinian and it's, I think it's during the Dirty War, which if you don't know about it, look it up. It was, it's a huge genocide that happened uh, in Argentina from the late seventies to the early eighties. And he was arrested for having sex with a minor and you find out later yes. he didn't know that the man was a minor. He thought that he was of age. And right. he said, no, you know, it's hard enough to like find love in, uh, you know, basically as a gay man in the eighties in Argentina, already hard to find love. And on top of that, he doesn't feel attractive himself. So for the fact that someone who he thought was so beautiful wanted him, he didn't even stop to question it. He just did it. And then found out afterwards that the person in question was like 16. <laughs> Thank you. That's actually exactly what it is. And yeah, I mean, listen, also about the 90s, it was like a little homophobic. Like they were like, they were like supportive, but it's like a little homophobic. Yeah. It's like, you know, we have, we have love, valor, compassion. We have angels in America, but you know, also as much as and angels in America is my favorite play. It's like, basically we have gay characters. They're either super damaged or they're super over the top flamboyant. Um, yep. Like, when the birdcage is probably the calmest representation of homosexuality in the 90s, that tells you where homosexuality was in pop culture. A hundred percent. But speaking of like, quote unquote, uh, normal gay men, he's, he, his like cellmate is this sexy, grounded, angry man. Mm-hmm. And while they end up having a love story of their own, Melina also imagines uh, the Spider-Woman, Aurora. Um, and he has like a, a fascination with movies and like the cinema and this uh, amazing leading lady of his life come, pops into the jail and there's like amazing dance numbers yeah. and I, I mean, flowers and birds. And I mean, I know we were joking, but a gay who escapes his day-to-day horrors by reveling in movies that he loves starring a diva that he worships that's very accurate depiction of gay life a hundred a hundred million percent the case of the spider woman tony performance um it's like a three-act show in four and a half minutes i think oh my god you know you i love um I love like during the Tony Awards where they have the spoken dialogue and it's kind of like rewritten in a way and then it goes into the musical number. Mm-hmm. It is just such a perfect um, Tony Award performance. You know, we start with, um, we start with them in their cell and he's um, explaining how it's awful to be in prison and then also explaining who Aurora is. And then all of a sudden, um, he starts singing and then a spotlight comes on to Cheetah Rivera smoking a cigarette and then she throws it on the floor, she stomps on it and then she starts singing Where You Are. And it's this amazing number about uh, having an imagination and how you can be your worst nightmare or you can be your own best friend. 
and there it, is dancing, there is canes, there are hats. Uh-huh. Um, she gets, she's flown in the air. Um, it's just, everybody is so showcased. It's such an ensemble piece. I am obsessed. They're bringing a prisoner back from interrogation. They're gonna make us look at him to frighten us. Well, I look, but I don't see. Deaf, dumb, and blind. You take my advice, Mr. Revolutionary. When you feel you've gone to hell in a handbasket, and the world in which you dwell no paradise I've some counsel I can give you need but ask it I'm so very glad to share this good advice you've got to learn how not to be where you are it's sort of like the where you are is the musical theater equivalent of Kimmy Schmidt's I'm not really here I'm not really here. There are things about it that on paper make it sound like it could be springtime for Hitler, but it works because of context and how it's presented. So like, as you said, the whole thing is about uh, taking yourself out of the reality. You can either like choose to live however you need to, or you can you know, only look at the ugly and, and let it tr- uh, give you trauma. And you see Cheetah in this gorgeous white, pantsuit dancing in what's obviously a musical number from her movie and then eventually infecting the rest of the prison with said musical theateriness. So like, I don't know if you notice this, there's a moment where a prisoner is being escorted across the stage by two guards with a bat over his head and then they whip off the bag and he's got a top hat on and dances with her. And again, on paper, you're like, that sounds gross, but the way it works is beautiful. I feel like if anybody was like, we're going to revive this show, this is who people would be like, oh, I want to see blah, blah, blah. Is it? I want to see Karen do it. I want to see Karen do it. And I think Karen she would Leva? be... Yes, I think that she would be explosive. Yeah. No, I think she would do a great job. But I also heard it was coming back with Audra McDonald. Which also I'm not mad at. Uh, Audra... The th- so it's more about... That role, Aurora, is interesting because it is... It's a star role that you can tailor for whatever star you have. So like... When Vanessa Williams replaced, Vanessa Williams was more of a singer than a dancer. So I think they like toned down some of the choreography and they upped the keys because Chita Rivera famously, after Chicago, her voice dropped three octaves. Right. So she went from being able to belt a D and all that jazz to like, I can't go past a B. Um, right. To like every tenor being like, give me the Chita Rivera catalog. I'll sing it all. So they tailored it to Vanessa. So they would have to tailor it for Audra. Um, and Audra can truly do everything. Uh, but no, I think Karen would be lovely. It it would require her to maybe be a little less Meisner technique. She would have to be a little more austere, which she's not used to. It's well, and I I don't mean that as a read because one of the things I actually love about Karen Olivo is there's always a little bit of messiness to her performing. And I've gone on record to say that that's shit that I love. I find that a lot of performers now are a little too clean in their presentation, and I do not respond to it as well. Uh, Karen Olivo is not afraid to like not be precise in how she stands or how she moves her body in a scene or in a solo number. Obviously, like she's given choreo, she'll do it how you want her to do it. But if it's like, oh, I'm supposed to like have emotions in this number, I'm not gonna bevel for you. 
but as Aurora, she kind of has to. Aurora, Aurora lives in a bevel. Also, I should say, I was telling Spencer when we were setting this up, and I told this to all my guests, I try not to be a dick with my with my opinions. And then I say something and I go, You're a dick, Matt. Just live in it. Live live in your live in your feelings, live in your emotions. Live in it, Matt. And I as we all learned, if I don't want to respond to it, then I will sit there and I will smile at your beautiful face. Mmm. That was that. I know that that was like funny, but that made me happy. Um, oh my, no, I was being genuine. No, you weren't. How dare you? Little did little does everybody know. I'm actually leaving my boyfriend for Matt right after this podcast. Oh my god! Tell us once more how you have a boyfriend, Spencer. Please. Oh wait. Oh my god. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no I'm that's joking. annoying. You're right. No, you're I right, just. Right. I truly am the most single person I think anyone's ever met. I have dated. I've briefly had relationships but never anything long-term. I think I'm destined to die alone, which is fine. Um, my brain is a hype, it's a hotbed of activity. I, I entertain myself daily, but you know, I'm very aware I wake up each morning alone. <laughs> no, you're not gonna, you're, you're not gonna be a Vasca. Actually, this is, this, this, is, this is the time where I'm gonna say that if you're afraid to approach Matt for a date, approach me, tell me, and I will be the Dolly Levi here, okay? Fosca Done. and Dolly Levi both mentioned in 60 seconds. You might be my favorite guest ever. Ah. Uh. <laughs> okay, so going from our deep dramatic scene, Cheater Vera kicking face with Prisoners musical number, we go into something that's a little more on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is the 97 Tony performance from The Life. Yeah, 97 was a big year for me. Um, my family worked on Broadway for a while. They were in uh, the marketing publicity world of Broadway. So I, and their first show was uh, the 20th anniversary of Annie, starring Brittany Kissinger and Nell Carter. And I know it this well. ties into what, yeah, this ties into what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 97 was just like a year I will never forget because I felt very involved in the Broadway community in a way that I, I always wanted to, you know, be when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing the life performance. And that was it. Like, actually, that may have trumped, that may have trumped the 20th anniversary of Annie for me. It's, um, it is six powerful, talented, um, starry-eyed women stomping around the stage uh-huh. just like truly stomping around the stage singing fantastic notes maybe i'm a sinner but who's gonna cap the first stone it's my body and my body nobody's business but my own So there's just something 
electrifying about it. And I love the message. I feel like it was the start of feminism in a way. Uh, I feel like we had feminism and then it went away on Broadway and then it like came back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I don't participate in sex work, but I think that sex workers are awesome and that's, you know, it's their body and that's what they want to do. And I'm, I'm totally all for that. I hate people when they judge you know, that, um, any kind of occupation. And I love that it was on a Tony Award stage and they're literally singing like, this is my body, my business. And if I want to fuck somebody for money, I'm going to. And I don't need your judgment. And that's really, the judgment of sex workers comes from America's prudish view on sex in general. Uh, Yep. And we shouldn't judge sex workers. In fact, I was openly discussing with Spencer how I plan to subscribe to one or two OnlyFans accounts at some point this year because- People got to make money. And while, you know, we love a good Pornhub or MyVidster, we got to stop taking the money out of the mouths of these hardworking people and let them actually get a payday from it. I love that. I love that. Uh, Can I tell you something that I love about this performance of The Life? This is the kind of representation and diversity that I am for because something that John and I have discussed in the past, and I think I might have even discussed this, with suddenly Seymour when she was on. My issue with Broadway and diversity, and it's getting better, but it's not there, is that Broadway has sort of heard diversity and gone, okay, so more, you know, black actors. And it's like, no. First of all, there are other ethnicities, there are, um, but also various ages, sizes, vocal types. You know, people don't all sing the same, people don't all look the same. And we shouldn't have to like have a size 12 as Lori in Oklahoma and everyone go, oh my God, hashtag so brave. Like there's, there's so many different types of performer and the theater community Broadway specifically has found a specific type of performer in the last 20 years that it has really enjoyed employing. The life has six or seven women of different ethnicities, different ages, different vocal types, and different sizes. The, not, none of them are interchangeable. And together, they are a strong unit like a goddamn army. Apart, they are individual divas in their own right. And that is the kind of diversity that I, like, will stop my pussy for, you know? <laughs> you you actually nailed it. I That is... That is so true. I mean, thank God for Cy Coleman. Like, that is, like, that is, it's just, just to respond to that, that's absolutely true. And one of the biggest regrets of my entire life is I, I think I had the opportunity to go see the life at Boston Conservatory. It happened like one or two years before I got there. And it was the life starring Stephanie Uma. Oh my God. I, I, I mean, yeah, you just like rock back in your chair because you know that was probably an unbelievable performance and casting. And uh, sometimes vocal casting uh, is um, not, not great. They nailed no. it with that one. And uh, they also had a, uh, they had, they were going for like, um, they cast some of the women as um, men, which I thought mm-hmm. was cool, um, you know, t- just to kind of like add, that kind of flair into it. Anyway, mm-hmm. the live performance is amazing. I'm my favorite moment of that is when they're shaking their tits, um, the two bigger women, yeah. and um, anything Lilius White does turns to gold. 
Oh yeah, it's for me vocal pyrotechnics and as you said like stomping the stage it's it's these women who just come on and i think because the show had had pretty recently opened and like it had been in development forever cy coleman is you know a legend in the community lilius white had been in the broadway community for so long and was like finally getting her moment so the radio city music hall is living for them uh they they just come on they piss all over that stage and what's i also really love that like they like they do it with such confidence and like fire and then it's over and they're like oh what you liked that oh i guess like it's it's their their energy afterwards is like it's both of like a calm like thank you so much and also a little like oh my god i i just i just like i just farted that out i can't believe you you liked that it's like curl well it was like the little engine that could but like you have six show-stopping women on stage like Absolutely. everyone's gonna go absolutely wild the live tony performance is up there with me with the original annie tony performance of um you're never fully dressed without a smile where it's just like a group of women, all equally different from each other, belting, dancing, and like an audience in the palm of their hand. Uh, it's just so good, which if anyone wants to watch that as well, OBC, it's, I mean, it's a 10 minute medley, but the you're never fully dressed without a smile. It's so amazing to see these like preteen girls just have like 1900 of like the most hardened industry insiders just yep. eating it up with a damn spoon. It's great. And I, I think that's like the misconception about the theater community sometimes. There is just, God, they can open their arms. Like they really can. And I think they really root for people that um, aren't totally rooted for, you know, and that's, that's how I feel when I, when I watch Caroline O'Connor in The Christmas Story, the 20 word performance, you can tell everyone's like, this is your moment and you've been yeah. waiting for this and we've been waiting for you, Caroline. Mm-hmm. And that's what it feels like when they applaud for the life, you know? Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, no, it, it is definitely a hardened industry, but like when someone beloved gets a moment to shine and everyone in the theater knows it, it's, yeah. it, you can feel the love. Um, Absolutely. So, our last two points, we'll go a little quicker on them. Uh, so a specific Broadway diva who we know and love today got her start in a revival of a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical in the 90s. And no, we're not talking of Audra Ann McDonald. We were talking about one Miss Laura Benanti. She made her Broadway debut at the ripe old age of 18, 17 in the ensemble. Yeah. So why are we discussing this, Spencer? Please tell me. Well, Spencer was a monster when he was younger. Um, You know, I'm the fourth child. I've heard every word in the book. Um, My parents are fierce liberal Democrats from Long Island. And we had opinions. And I, again, Sound of Music was a musical that my family worked on. But I remember, you know, you I would read the playbill ahead of time. I was really pissed that I wasn't in it. I was like, I just played Kurt at a community theater. Like, I, and I, I, I wasn't in the Broadway production and I'm, I'm mad. Don't they so, know who I am? I was, yeah, don't they know who I am? And as I'm reading the program, I just like remember seeing this girl named Laura. I saw her headshot. She was in the, you know, there's like, the headshots and then you have to go like a million pages and then it's like the ensemble headshots. Mm -hmm. She was towards um, the top 
And I remember seeing her and I was like, well, she looks young. Why is she in the ensemble? And then I went to her bio and I realized she was like 17 years old. And I saw that she understudied Maria. And I turned to my mom and I was like, well, that's just pathetic that a 17 year old is covering Maria. And I'm sure my mom was like- That is pathetic. Holy cow. And- (laughs) I just always remembered this girl. I was like, there was a girl understudying. She wasn't even Liesel. Like she was understudying Maria. And then I remember when Into the Woods came out, I made the connection and I was like, oh my God, Laura Penanti was the Maria cover in the 1998 revival. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. So Spencer just wanted to air out that dirty laundry. Let all of you know that he judged her. I did not see her as uh, Maria, but I do remember speaking of those like Port Authority pamphlets yeah. I because when she took over for Rebecca Luker it was like this whole big deal that she was the understudy who was going on she was so much younger she was you know the Broadway wunderkind she also was coming in when Richard Chamberlain who uh for you youngsters was a very famous film and tv actor he was coming in to play Captain Von Trapp so there was all this press about him and they made a whole new show pamphlet with him and she was on it and I mean, it's, I throw it out now, but I, I remember her on that pamphlet. I remember her in Maria's wedding dress with Richard Chamberlain. There's a photo of her doing the like arms over the head pose for Sound of Music. Yep, yep, yep. And there's some wonderful video of her in the role. Uh, Listen, yeah, I mean, on on YouTube, Aurora Aurora Spider-Woman has has video of her. Oh, great. Okay, I'm going to go look at that. Thank you. She's great. She's great. I mean, she's got all this youthful energy. If you ever read the book, Nothing Like a Dame, Laura, uh, which is a collection of in- interviews with Broadway ladies, Laura's in there and she talks about sounding music and she was like, it was a wonderful experience. She goes, I learned a lot of lessons. One of the biggest lessons was like, never go on stage too confident because um, she, after she took over, the press came back to review Richard Chamberlain and I guess like the Times or Washington Washington Post or somebody was like, you know, Laura Benanti is something, you know, something along the lines of like, uh, 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 effortless effervescence or something like that, like effortless joy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and I walked out on stage that next day to like start the show. And I was like, I'm effortlessly joyful and fully face planted the moment her first song starts, like comes out to do the like sound of music face plants. And she's like, never go on stage too confident, guys. I went out being like, ah, like the time said this about me. And then bam. Uh, My day's in the... Yep, exactly. Great. Mary Great. Martin was in her grave being like, that'll teach you, bitch. That, yeah. <laughs> Respect your elders, how? Yeah. I, I also just want to say, I, I did not get to see her. Like, I, I, I did get to see... No. Rebecca. You you Thank judged God. Laura Benanti's journey. You weren't really judging her because you had nothing really to judge. I had nothing to judge. And now, I mean, I'm a, ugh, I'm a humongous fan of, I mean, who isn't a fan of Laura Benanti? But I, I wish at the age that I saw Sound of Music, I wish that I realized who Jen Maxwell was. Oh. Um, yeah, she just was so good on that show. I, I, and then I, sometimes I word vomit and it comes from because, and I'm embarrassed by it, but I'm also like, this is who I am. I'll always kind of just be a little bit of like a stage door boy. Like I mm. just, and not stage door manner, um, like stage door, no, actual I stage am. doors. I yeah, am. I am. I know. I was always too afraid to go. Um, and <laughs> Rightfully but so. I, I did, um, 
I did a lab a couple of years ago of this really cool musical, actually, uh, part of Ars Nova. And the guy next to me, his name is Dashiell. And I was like, I only know one Dashiell. And he was Rolf in the 98 revival of, of Sound of Music. And like during music rehearsal one day, I was like, um, I don't know how to like say this to you, but you're amazing in the Sound of Music as Rolf. But I'm like 27 telling him this. Yeah. And he was, he was so nice, but I'm sure he was like, it's like, weren't you like seven? Like, how do you remember my performance? Anyway. Yeah, no, that's also, I love that you think like that's word vomit. Like I truly word vomited to Judy Kuhn when I met her. Uh, it was not a cute look, but it's fine. So we're closing out the 90s with what sounds to me like a horror story. Oh God, okay, yeah. You saw Footloose. Yeah. And the horrors didn't just stop there. I just, I saw Footloose as well. I will say my memories of the show are a little uh, iffy. I remember like a big blue box of a set. And I remember a lot of dancing. Some of those arrangements slap, but what is our story with Footloose, Spencer? Yeah, so I saw Footloose. I die for Footloose. I will always die for Footloose. I thought it was some of the best orchestrations. Like, I just thought it was a really phenomenal production. However, I almost didn't make it. Um, I had a fear growing up, and it stemmed from Dorothy's um, high-pitched screaming during the Twister in the Wizard of Oz movie. I, I had a fear of, um, like, loud sounds, mm-hmm. um, I think. And I think I was getting over it. And uh, when I saw Footloose... You know, it started, and it's very, very in your face. I remember it started, it was like flashing neon green and like purple lights. And then a man skates on his stomach on a skateboard across the stage, Mm -hmm. and I just got really nauseous. It was just all too much for me, and it was really scary for me. And I turned to my dad, and I said, I'm going to throw up. And my dad was like, you are fine. I was like, I'm not, I'm not not okay. I'm going to throw up. My dad was like, Okay. And he like ran me to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and I like fully dropped to the floor over the toilet and I was fine. And my dad was like, are you vomiting? I was like, no, I'm actually good. He was like, are are you sure? I was like, yeah, I'm sure I actually feel better. I think I just needed to like see the toilet bowl and know that I was fine. It just was a lot for me. And he was like, okay. And then he walked me back into the theater and you know, I got back into the theater just in time for you're playing so cool, obeying every rule. Thank God. Also, Spencer, because Spencer went to Boko, he knows vocal health. So he threw his hand in the air so he could place the note in a healthy way. Good on you. Uh, but That's hilarious. Know, yeah. Oh, God. The, the vocals in that show are outstanding and that I mean the the arrangements for the opening number alone are fantastic i don't and i mean yes it's footloose and yes in retrospect i can look back on some of it and go like yeah no i think if i were 25 years old seeing that show at the time i would be a lot more snarky i will say some things hold up and the arrangements of the opening number is one of them i mean it's 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 just it's spectacular and i when i first got a facebook I remember, maybe it was in MySpace, I remember I made sure I went back to my Playbill and I friended every member of that company. And I'm still friends with them on Facebook. More innocent times when if you got a random friend request from a kid, you just took it. 
I am, you don't even want to know who I'm Facebook friends with. I'm Facebook friends with some like national treasures who at the time I don't think understood Facebook and have mm-hmm. not deleted me since. That's, that's the long con right there. You've, <laughs> you invested in the long, in the long game with that. That's lovely. Um, so let's close out with some final thoughts on the 90s. When okay. we reflect on them, what, what, what's our main takeaways? I mean, we kind of have said it already, but sort of in conclusion, like to wrap it up again. Main takeaways, Brittany Kissinger taking over for Joanna and Annie mm-hmm. um, and Joanna's interview on CBS crying. That role has a history of replacements. Which, yeah, which I don't blame of, them for. It's yeah. A, yeah. a lot of blood role. has been shed over the role of Annie. That's why that dress is so red. 90s, um, I, we didn't really talk about this, but, um, and I know this is kind of veering off Broadway, but mm. uh, Jerry Lewis in Damn Yankees in London on the West End, I will never forget that performance. I was hysterically wow. crying. My parents were like, did you understand the plot? Um, and I was hysterically crying. I would say Will Rogers' Follies, absolutely. Jody Benson being lifted on the piece of wood during I Got Rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say almost vomiting at Footloose. I feel like those are my highlights of the 90s. Amazing. Uh, my highlights. The set design of The Secret Garden. Oh, great. Um, George C. Wolfe finally coming to Broadway with Jelly's Last Jam and Angels in America. Mm. Tunnel of Love in Sideshow. Alice Ripley's I want mine. Where is mine? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. The entirety of the 94 carousel, specifically the carousel waltz. The whole thing's on YouTube, guys. You're welcome. Big. How can I forget big? Big the musical. The teen chorus big! is big the musical. Oh, my God. I know. I know. I know. We stand. We have no choice but to stand. Uh, no choice. The... Uh, Tony performance of Your Good Man Charlie Brown, where I was introduced to Chenoweth. And this isn't Broadway, Broadway, but the golden age of the ABC TV musical. So C- Cinderella, Annie. Forget it. Forget it. It's, it's just break my arm, daddy. The whole thing. Break my arm, daddy. That is one of the, that, you know what I have to say, that and Cinderella. <laughs> what? It, well, it's the same music team, actually. Same music team for both Cinderella and Annie, because Rob Marshall choreographed Cinderella, then directed and choreographed Annie and brought the same music team with him. Right. And I have to say, fuck Disney Plus, because, or whatever that's called, because yeah. they don't have they don't Cinderella have on there. I think because something there's got to be something going on with like Brandy and Whitney's like estates or something like that, because that's also yeah. the reason why we don't have a soundtrack. Something about that is probably not allowing us to have it on Disney plus. I can't imagine any other reason. Oh, interesting. Interesting. That's no. a good point. True. Yeah, but we need to have, there's needs to be some public outcry about it because just get it the fuck on there. And also like Whitney's estate, get it together so we can have an official soundtrack. I mean, I have the music. I listen to a bootleg audio on my phone when I work out, but like, I want a real soundtrack. I want crystal clean sound. I, I am completely with you. I mean, the sweetest sounds will, uh, I will never get that out of my mind. Impossible, no. duh, stepsisters lament. I mean, come on. Absol- yeah, R.I.P. Natalie. Uh, R.I.P. Natalie, R. I. P. and we Natalie. miss you, Vianne. Yeah, 
no, wonderful takeaways from the 90s. Uh, Spencer, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today. I Thank do- you for having me. <laughs> Spencer, where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm at hi Spencer Glass on Instagram, as in like, hi Spencer Glass, H-I Spencer Glass. Um, and I pretty much post everything you need to know about whatever I'm doing on there. Okay. Are you on the Twits, on the TikToks? Um, I'm at... It's Spencer Glass on Twitter. Okay. And then on TikTok, I'm, I, I don't know what I am on TikTok, but I'm on TikTok and I'm, I'm having fun. Just search Spencer Glass. And OnlyFans is Spencer Ass, I'm assuming? <laughs> I unfortunately have not made it to OnlyFans yet, but I'm working my way up. Yes, we're, we're building that confidence. A few more viewings of the yes. life and you'll, and you'll get there. And I'm there. Yes. You can find me on Insta, Matt Koplik, the usual spelling. No other, no other social medias. I don't have the energy. I'm too old, as we've discovered. Spencer, we close out every episode with a nice diva, theater-related usually. Do you have one for us to close out with today? Yes, I do. I'm, I'm going to close out with no other than D. Hody. Ah, ding dong. Love that. That is, that's twofold. We have Footloose and we have Will Rogers Follies with that. So for anyone who wonders what kind of woman D. Hody is, D. Hody is the kind of woman that can be in the best little whorehouse goes public and Footloose and be Tony nominated for both. You go, oh, you're in Footloose? How good for you? And D. Hody's like, yeah, got a Tony nom for it, bitch. You're like, oh, I'm so sorry. You were in best little whorehouse goes public. And she's like, got another Tony nom for it, bitch. She's, and then she's like, I'm also going to be, I'm also going to be um, a very strange role in Bright Star and I'm going to make you cry. But then also, just so you guys know, I can also be uh, like a jazzy, like ferocious mama in City of Angels and make the tennis song something. She's yes. everything. She's I, a- I, I'll stand by her forever. Bro- I, I, you know what we were going to call her? Broadway MILF D. Hody. I'm not even sure if she's a mom, but she's a Broadway MILF. I feel like she would love that, actually. Oh, I'm sure she would. Isn't she vice president of equity? Am I making that up? She She's ran. Like I don't something. think she won. Oh, that's ridiculous. I voted okay. for her. I voted for her. Uh, maybe, I think Stephen Bogardis won. Is that how you say yeah. that? Oh, yes, 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 yes. And they were, yes, yes. they were in Bright Star together. I wonder if there was like a point of contention about that. Only one Bright Star actor can be vice president. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you can you imagine what if Carmen Cusack was our president was our was our equity president? I ran into her at a bar, and I went oh. up to her. She was having a drink, and I was like, I, "I know I shouldn't do this," and and she was like, "Lay it on me, honey." And I was like, "I was like, you were sensational and bright star, and I'm trying very hard. I'm like, like, I'm trying very hard to tell people in my community when they're good at things." And she was like, "That means the world." Thank you so much for telling me that. I, wow, you made my night. And I was like, probably I, I didn't make your night, but that was so nice. No, you absolutely, I, I bet you anything she, you did. Here's what I have found out about the theater community. We all love a good compliment and you never know what's, where someone's at that day. For all you know, she was having the worst day ever. And someone out of the blue, some little queer comes up to her and says, I just, I'm, Normally I have decorum, but my need to tell you this is overpowering my decorum and I'm going to tell you. And that means something, you know? When people DM me and say, I just have to tell you, 
your Instagram stories are really annoying. I need you to stop. I'm like, you know what? That means so much to me. I drew such a wonderful reaction from you. (laughs) (laughs) I jest. No one DMs me. Uh, Anyway, so this is a long tangent. Anyway, so you are Spencer Glass. I am Matt Koplik. This has been Broadway Breakdown. We're going to take it away with Broadway Milf D. Hody. Take it away, D. Thank you guys so much for listening. Oh, before I forget, uh, rate, review us, subscribe, all the things. Uh, They all add to the algorithm that helps the podcast get more noticed. And we'd love to get more noticed because I love being a little, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I like being a boutique podcast, but like I'll settle for, you know, uh, a small chain. I'll take it. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for listening. Take us away, D. Bye. She was definitely deferential or so they wrote on her. No one ever glimpsed her potential But when stripped down to the essential Mind you, this is confidential Way down underneath She was Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.